book of Romans. Please um, open with me to Romans chapter 13. So we just read the end of chapter 12, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 13 this morning. Um, I'm sure there are some smirks on your faces as we've been going through the book Strong and Courageous on Wednesday evenings, and want to come to Romans 13 this morning and look at verses 1 through 7. And consider very specifically the Christian's duty to earthly authority. The Christian's duty to earthly authority. Now for the last 18 or so months, you are all familiar with the fact that we and those around the world have dealt with all kinds of of laws and rules and, and discussion and mandates of masks and vaccinations and stay-at-home orders and, you know, now even here in the U.S., the idea of potential mandatory vaccination. And regardless of what may happen with the coronavirus in the future, it's pertinent for us as believers to understand how we are to relate to our governing authorities. We, we want to know how we respond when the government may reach across their lines. I think that's one thing that we've come to find out in the last 18 months is that even here in America, a supposedly free country, we are at a stage where the government is going to reach beyond what they are legally by our constitution allowed to do, but more importantly than that, reach beyond what the scripture gives them the authority to do. And we need to know as a church, as believers, how to respond. So While what has happened in the last 18 months should never drive how we interpret Scripture, we want to look to the Scripture and let it drive how we respond to the events of our present day. So again, let's look at Romans chapter 13. We want to read verses 1 through 7. Then we need to ask the Lord's blessing on our time, and we'll dive in to our text. So Romans chapter 13, this is the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and therefore this is the holy and authoritative word of the living God. Paul writes, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, speaking of government, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For these rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. And honor to whom honor. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts. Now let's go to him in prayer. 
Father, we come and we know that this is our great hour of need, Lord, for we need you every hour, most assuredly, but we need you especially in this hour. We need you to enlighten and illuminate our hearts. We need you, Lord, to help us to put away distractions, to not think about what's gone on this week or what will go on next week, but, Lord, to focus our heart's attention, our heart's affection, and our mind's attention upon your word. Lord, would you give us ears that are ready and eager to hear? Would you give us eyes that are ready and eager to see? And a heart that is ready and eager to receive the truth. Lord, by your spirit, would you please teach us? By your spirit, would you please convict us? By your spirit, only by the miraculous work of your spirit, would you bring us to repentance for where we have failed you? Lord, we live in difficult and confusing and troubling times. We live in an age where we need to be filled with the wisdom from above. For earthly wisdom is of no use and no value in the days that we face. So Lord, would you fill us with a spirit of wisdom, with a love for the truth, a desire to submit to the truth. Lord, would you be pleased to glorify yourself in us today. Pray that we would be sanctified by the truth, that we would be made more like Christ by the truth. Lord, may we give our lives as an offering to you. For you, God, are worthy. You're worthy of all of our devotion, all of our effort, all of our striving. So we may, may we give ourselves as a living sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to you. Pray all these things now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, we may ask the question, why in this time when we are really, I believe, for the most part, very united in spirit as far as how the government should be acting in the present times? We've sat around in these rooms and discussed. We've had good discussion. I think we're all in lockstep agreement for the most part as to how we believe we should live in submission to the government. So why spend time on this? Well, because in these strange times, we need to not believe that we are in agreement, but we need to ensure that we are all in agreement and that that agreement is in submission to the truth of God's word. Now, there are many and various opinions offered in the public sphere, in evangelicalism even, as to how we should apply what has happened in the last 18 months to our lives every day and to the life of the church. But we need to look at what God says, what God says in his word as to how the Christian should respond to government. So what is the role of government, and what is the duty and the response of Christians? So to set the context of Romans, I believe this topic is a very interesting inclusion and addition to this letter. You all are probably familiar with this great epistle. Many believe that it is 
among Paul's greatest writings. He covers such a breadth of information. All of Scripture, of course, is inspired by God, but the breadth of information covered in Romans is especially spectacular. Paul covers seemingly every doctrine, every practical application of the Christian faith in this one letter. In chapters 1 through 11, he focused on a wide range of doctrine, speaking of salvation as being by faith, by grace, and in Christ alone. That is kind of the great summary of chapters 1 through 11, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and for the glory of God alone. In chapter 12, Paul shifts. He moves to speak of the applications of these great doctrines. For doctrine without application is nothing but a mere head knowledge, and that is a head knowledge that apart from the grace of God will send you straight to hell. We must apply the truth. We must not only know of Jesus Christ, but believe in him and be transformed by him. And so Paul in chapter 12 shifts his attention to how we might give our lives as living sacrifices to the great king of kings, to how we might do that and why we must do that. As we read just a moment ago, chapter 12 ends, it's the last, chap- the last paragraph of chapter 12 is bookended with these amazing truths, bless those who persecute you and do not curse And then at the end of that, verse 21, it says, And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Then you come to our passage at the beginning of chapter 13. Then after that, chapter 13 ends with another uh, amazing bookend in verses 8 through 14. Paul says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to obey and to come into submission to the lust of the flesh. And so it's in between these two monumental commands to bless those who persecute you, to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good, to fulfill the law of Christ, to not give in to the flesh, but to overcome the flesh It is in between those monumental commands that we come to this idea of the Christian's response to government. And so if you're like me, you say, why is that? Why do we have these monumental commands? Is Paul just giving us a break here? Is he saying, I've hit you, I've hit you, you know, let's just kind of relax. How we should relate to government is an easy topic. I think on the authority of Scripture, that is absolutely untrue. Look at verse 2 of Romans 13. He says, and they who have opposed God-ordained government will receive condemnation upon themselves. This is an extremely important topic. If we wrongly oppose God-ordained government, it is as though we are opposing God himself. The Christian must submit to the leaders that God has placed, the leaders that God has ordained. We must submit to every authority. Scripture is very clear about this. So Paul sets forth here that the kingdom of God and the rule of man do not have to be opposing forces. In fact, they should not be opposing forces because these authorities that God places are called to be servants and ministers of God. And if these are supposed to be servants and ministers of God, we must strive to submit to them as much and as often as we can. 
So Paul essentially tells the Romans here to devote themselves to proper obedience, to render obedience to governmental authorities whenever possible, to render joyful and willing submission whenever possible. But so much greater than that, so much more important than that, Paul makes clear, I think, in verse 7, that we must render all obedience and submission and devotion at all times in all things to the Lord Jesus Christ. For Christ is the head of his church. We are called to obey and to submit to him above all. So this will be the kind of the focal point of our time together. We want to consider how we must render to earthly rulers what is due to them, how we must submit to them as as far as we can, but that we also must render to the Lord that which belongs to the Lord, and that which belongs to the Lord is your entire life, your full devotion, your full obedience in all things. What belongs to the Lord is certainly the authority over his church. So the breakdown of this text really is extremely simple kind of want to look at it from two basic angles. We want to look at the role of government as Paul lays it out throughout verses 1 through 7, and then we'll look at the response of believers in verses, again, 1 through 7. And then at the end, we're going to leave some time and try to take and apply what we see there to the tough cases of our day. We need to apply God's Word to what we see today going on in our world. So firstly, let's consider the role of government. The role of government, and we'll look again through really verses 1 through 4, and we want to see firstly that governmental authorities are ordained and established by God. Look at verse 1 again. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. So as we work through, this is kind of the the foundational principle that this whole passage swings upon. The, The foundation of this is that all authority is established and ordained by God. All authority comes from God alone and should be therefore done according to His rule and to His order. Again, Paul says there's no authority except from God. There is no lawful authority. There is no power. There is no legal authority except that which is given and placed and ordained by God. This goes back, of course, all the way to creation, right? The first book in the Bible, the first verse in the entire Bible begins that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is God's world. We are his people, and we, the entire world, operate under his authority. It's the Lord's plan. It is his divine will, then, that in the grand scheme of things, he places governmental authorities in place in the world in various ways throughout history, and his plan is that we submit to them. His plan is that we subject ourselves to them even when we don't like them, even when we don't agree with their political agenda. Now, there's limitations to that, and we'll look at that throughout our our time today. But the Lord places all authority. You think about this, I'm reminded of John chapter 19. You remember the scene there when Jesus has been arrested. 
He's been put on trial. He's before Pilate. Pilate is questioning him as to who he is, and Jesus doesn't say a word. He doesn't respond. He doesn't speak. Pilate says to him then, in really the greatest arrogance we may see in all the scripture, he says, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? That is a created being saying to its creator, do you not know that I have authority over you? And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, responds, you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you from above. Pilate, the authority you have comes to you from God. The amazing thing there is that Pilate hears that, and he's terrified. Here you have Jesus beaten, beaten to a pulp. He's been whipped. He's been scourged. He is going to his death. But then he simply tells Pilate, the only authority you have comes to you from above, and Pilate is terrified. He, he makes every attempt after that to have Jesus released. Even this wicked ruler, when face-to-face with God incarnate, he realizes that he has no authority except for that which is given to him by the Lord. Considering this should just remind us of God's sovereign power. You have Jesus looking as, as the weakest of humans at this point, beaten, chained, no freedoms left, and yet he says, your only authority comes from the Lord. That is God's sovereign power over all things, that God remains in control at all times. So this is the first thing that we must understand. This is the foundational principle of how Christians respond to government, and that is to know that they are ordained and given power by the Lord. Now, we can't stop there because Paul continues on. He gives us some of the primary roles of these governing authorities. Look at verse 3. He says that rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So what is the role of the government there? It is to praise good behavior, to reward and to hold up as an example good behavior. 1 Peter 2.14 puts it this way, that governing authorities are instituted to praise those who do what is right. That is a role of government, to hold up as an example to all of our country, all of our state, all of our city, whichever governing authority we may be talking about, and say, this is good behavior. This is what you should do. We commend this good and holy behavior to you. Now, who determines what is good behavior? Again, we go back to creation, that God created all things. And so God, therefore, is the one who determines what is good. God put these authorities into place, into their position, and it is by his rule that they must show and exercise their authority. It is God's world. God determines what is good and what is right. Now, Paul builds a contrast into our text as to the role of government. It's a contrast that we see in reverse in our government. Look at verse 4. For he says that it, government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. 
for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. That is a duty of the government, to bring wrath upon those who practice evil. They wield the sword because they are servants of God to punish evil. To be an avenger speaks of one who carries out justice speaks of one who brings punishment and even enacts vengeance. And vengeance, friends, is actually not a bad thing. Vengeance in Scripture can be a good and a holy thing. Again, we just read this in Romans 12, verse 19. It says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That is a a similar root word to what we're dealing with in chapter 13, verse 4. To be an avenger means to bring vengeance. So vengeance is not a bad thing. And so again, what is the standard? What is the measure for what is good and what is evil? Of course, it is God's word. That is the standard by which government should choose to punish evil. And so that kind of leads us into the final role of government that we want to consider this morning, and that is to see that these people are ordained by God for the purpose of serving God. They are to be servants of the Most High God. Verse 4 says, Government is a minister of God to you for your good. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath. Verse 6 says that rulers are servants of God. So we have the word diakonos, where we get the word deacon. They are, they are ministers of God in that sense. We have the word liturgos, where we get the word liturgy. It speaks to a public servant, to being a servant of the state, typically. But Paul says that these are not servants of the state. They're servants of the state for the sake and upon the authority of God alone. So as deacons give holy service to the church, governing authorities should give holy service to the state on behalf of the Lord. So let's summarize where we are right now. The role of civil government. They are ordained by God. They're ordained by God to be servants of God. They are called to be servants of God who enforce the rule of God by praising what is good and punishing what is evil. And that's the key to all this, that they are ordained by God to be servants of God, to enact the rule and the law of God. So hold on to that because we'll come back to that when we get to the end to apply all of this, to to understand how do we respond to those who are not servants of God, who do not apply the rule of God in our everyday laws. So that is the role of government. Next, we need to consider the response of believers, the response or the duty of believers. And again, we see this throughout the whole text. In verses 1 and 2, we see that believers are called to submit. Every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. Whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. We are to submit. These people are established by God, and they deserve our submission, our respectful obedience. 
The key again here is that they are established by God. They are supposed to serve the Lord, and we are to obey the servants of the Lord. Now, the term subjection in verse 1 speaks to a willing submission. It speaks to willingly placing yourself under another. Matthew Henry describes this by saying, Our subjection must be free and voluntary, must be sincere and hearty. Submission to the government, friends, is a good thing. It is something that we should pursue. To oppose such, Paul makes clear, is to oppose God because God has put these people in place to carry out specific duties. So Paul is reminding that opposing God-ordained authority is the same as opposition to God. As God's people, we know that we are not to oppose the Lord. We are to obey and to submit to Him. So the Christian's first duty is to joyfully and willingly and heartily submit to governing authorities. Submit to those established by the Lord. This should be the direction and the orientation and the goal of our hearts. And if this is the true and driving goal in your life, the true and driving um, heart that you have in response to the government, the rest of Paul's instruction here is really quite reasonable. It is really easy to kind of start wading through this if you start in, in the correct position, if you start desiring to submit to those in authority over you. So the next duty we see And this is very clearly stated in verse 3, is that Christians are to do good. Rulers are not, verse 3, are not a cause of fear for good behavior. They're a cause for fear for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Do what is good. Rulers are not to be feared by those who engage in good deeds and good works and helpful and good, and fellow man-loving actions. Governing authorities are to praise this good behavior. They're to reward, to commend, and to show forth good behavior as an example. But hear this, friends. We are to be agents and workers of that good regardless of the response of government. We don't do good in Life in general, in our community, for those around us, we do not do good to receive the praise of government. We do good because we want to honor the Lord. Now, they have their responsibility, but we must be obedient. We must be agents and workers of good. Not surprisingly, on the heels of that, we're called not only to do good, but we're called not to engage in evil. Verse 4. For as a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. Be afraid because it does not bear the sword for nothing. It's a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So we should not fear for good behavior, and we should fear when we engage in evil. That's just as clear as it can be. When we break the law, we should fear. We should fear the repercussive hand of the government when we break the law. So we've already talked about the government's role in this, but what is the response? What is the role of the believer when we talk about government 
punishing evil deeds and evil actions. I think just to be real frank and to be real simple and clear, we must willingly submit to, to the appropriate and biblical outworkings of justice. If you're caught speeding, you pay your ticket. When the police officer pulls you over, whether or not he's kind and polite to you, you be respectful to him, you take your ticket and you go pay it if you're breaking the law. If you have evaded your taxes for years and years and you're caught, repent of your sin, pay back the taxes, and do whatever else the government tells you you have to do because you've broken the law. If you were, Lord forbid, to, to go as far as to physically harm or, or put another person to death, friend, you should willingly submit to just punishment. doesn't mean that you subject yourself to some kind of heinous torture, but you willingly submit to just biblical punishment. If you break the law, if you engage in evil, repent of your sin, and then take the just punishment that is coming to you. So Christians must do good. We should obey the law. We should love our neighbor, and we should be model citizens. We should seek not to do evil. We should seek not to break the law. We should seek not to do evil against our fellow image bearers. Those around us are image bearers of God, and when you sin against someone, you sin against someone created in the image of God. And if you act unjustly, you should willingly face the punishment that's coming. It's just straightforward, clear, and simple in the text. And again, all of this is true, and it's commanded by God because God establishes law and he establishes the authorities that bring that law to bear. These people are placed by God to serve God and his purposes. Now, here's where things get difficult. Here's where we introduce the, the third point that we want to look at and consider the question here. What about the hard cases? So we've talked about the role of government. We've talked about the duty and the response of believers and Overall, those things are clear. But now, what about some of the difficult cases? We see a lot of those, I think, kind of in our present day. Uh, a lot of things where we need to think through, reason through, and apply Scripture to how we respond. What do we do when government oversteps its bounds? What are the bounds and the parameters in which we should uh, engage in civil disobedience? We must think through these things because the Lord is clear that those who resist and oppose authority are opposing God, so we must make sure that we oppose authority in the proper and the right cases. So that's, again, where what we've covered thus far is so important. If we see government in a proper lens as authorities given by God, if we see their role to punish evil and to commend and exemplify that which is good, and if we see the proper response that we're to have a willing and a joyful and a broad subjection to them, then we can think through these things. We're at a place where we can start applying these truths to the cases that are before us today. Put it this way, if your response is always to see how quickly you might be allowed to engage in civil disobedience, Friend, if that is your heart, your heart is in the wrong place. You don't need to be quick to disobey God's authorities. You need to always be quick to obey the Scripture. But if your heart is just to disobey governmental authorities, you need to examine your heart. 
That would be similar, though not exactly the same. It would be similar to the one who wants to see how close they can get to temptation without falling into sin. That's not wise, and it's not godly. It's not fleeing from what is evil and pursuing what is good. So examine your heart. Ask yourself if your goal and desire is to obey and submit to authorities. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that he should pray for kings and for all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, maybe not necessarily in our land, but certainly in Canada, in places in Europe and around the globe, those truths have never been more apparent. You, you don't even have to concern yourself with a government who supports Christianity. You just pray that they will let you live a life of peace and tranquility and godliness. That should be the goal and the direction of our hearts. So if that is the goal of our heart, then the rest of our time this morning, let's think through how to apply these things, how to reason through Scripture and consider how we might respond to some of the things going on in our world and in our country today. In verse 6, Paul says, For because of this you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. The workman is worthy of his wages. Governing authorities oftentimes have a, and we could argue the politics of this, but they have a career in government. They deserve to be paid. We pay our taxes to, in part, pay their salary. Paul says, pay your taxes. You pay taxes because they are servants of God and they're devoted to serving your city, your state, your country. He continues in verse 7, he says, Render to all what is due to them. Render tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear is due, and honor to whom honor is due. And this is where things get difficult. Because you look around and you see our government at various levels and say, those people aren't honorable. Those people are not worthy to be feared. I don't want those people spending my tax dollars because they have evil, wicked agendas. This is where it gets difficult, and this is where we must submit ourselves to the truth of Scripture. Rather than praising what is good and bringing wrath upon that which is evil, you see our government, especially at the federal level, doing the exact opposite. Really, they force their wicked agendas upon us and down our throats. Consider the LGBTQIA plus whatever letters they've added onto it this week agenda. Consider the horrific evils of abortion. These things are not good. They do not serve. They do not honor the Lord. We must stand against those things. In the workplace, when you're told to do something to further the LGBTQ agenda or the, the wicked, godless ideology of critical race theory, reject those things. Reject those things as much as you can because they are godless. They are not just and they are not good. Consider in these days of COVID. Now, again, uh, we thank the Lord that we live in a state with a governor who overall has handled this situation fairly well. I think we would all agree. Thankfully, there are very limited restrictions upon 
us as a state, and there are really no restrictions upon the church at this point, and we thank and praise the Lord for that. But think about in the early days or in other states or in other countries what goes on. The government tells the church when they can meet, tries to tell the church how many can be at the meeting, if they can meet indoors or outdoors, how far apart their seats have to be, do they have to wear masks, can they sing, can they chant, can they shake hands, can they hug, can you, the government tries to tell people exactly what to do. And let's just be very clear, the government is not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. There's no president, there's no CDC director, there's no governor, there's no, no mayor, there's no state health officer that has any authority to tell the church what the church does when it gathers, how it may gather, or when it may gather. This is the Lord's church. Jesus Christ bought the church with his own blood. He purchased her for himself. He is her Lord. He is her head. He and his word are the only authority for the church. So when a government at any level tries to tell the church what to do, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ rejects that form of tyranny because we answer to one ruler. We answer to one head, and it is the one who shed his blood at the cross to pay for our sins. We render all honor, all fear, all obedience, and all submission to Jesus Christ alone. So what about stay-at-home orders? Now let's get outside of the church a little bit. Uh, stay-at-home order, okay? You're going to come to church because that's mandated by the, by the Holy Scriptures. You're going to come to church, but what about stay-at-home orders or mask mandates or now the latest hot-button topic, vaccination mandates? How do we respond to, to those things. Now, firstly, I want to be very clear up front. I think, I think we can say this pretty clearly. I know there's other opinions, but on the authority of Scripture, I think we can understand there's nothing sinful with wearing a mask or getting a vaccine. Now, we can discuss if you want to do it, if you think it's the most helpful thing, but we can't argue with the authority of Scripture that we can't do those things. So if you feel like you need to wear a mask or get vaccinated, go and do it. There's, there should be no resistance for that because Scripture doesn't tell us we cannot do that. Now, flip side of that, are we in sin if we disregard those things? If the government tells you you've got to get vaccinated to be able to go to the grocery store or to hold a job or you must wear a mask anywhere you go. If you're on an airplane, it's federal air, federal property, so you have to wear a mask. Are you disobeying Scripture? Are you sinning? To disregard those things. And there, there's a couple angles at which we can come at this. Firstly, the vast majority, if not everything that's been passed, it's not actually law. The law of our land is the Constitution. A public health order is not a law. So if you want to take that angle on it, you've still got some time now. Are, are we going to change the Constitution? Are we going to write and enact laws? Potentially, but that's not our concern today. What, what we hear is that we must wear a mask or we must get vaccinated to love and to protect ourselves and our neighbors. And again, you must consider your conscience in this. Romans 14, 23 says, That which does not proceed from faith 
is sin. So if your conscience tells you you need to do those things, I would encourage you to follow your conscience. If you have the Holy Spirit of God in you and your conscience is bound by and submitted to the Word, you should submit to that conscience. Again, that's what Scripture teaches us. But now if your motives are humble and pure and you're really trying to think through these things, I think you can kind of cut through the noise and really consider what's going on here. The government tells you that you're doing these things to love and to protect your neighbor. What else does the government tell us? They tell us that you can murder a baby in its mother's womb really up to the moment before it is born. They say that's just a woman's right. She can do that if she wants. The government encourages and engages in gender conversion therapy, which is absolutely nothing short of child abuse. You have these little kids that don't know their head from their feet, and they don't know if they're a boy or a girl, and the government wants to go and abuse them by changing their life for the rest of their life by changing their gender, by doing things that cannot be reversed. It's absolute child abuse. You can engage in any kind of immorality that you so choose, and you just throw your hands up and say, this is the way I was made. I'm going to do this because this is what I want to do. And the government is okay with that. But to love and to protect your neighbor, you have to wear a mask and you have to get a vaccine. So when we think about this, the government, with all of its wicked agendas, really has lost every ounce of credibility that it may have had in regard to loving and valuing and protecting human life. So when that comes, when we come to that agreement that they have stepped so far outside of their biblical authority, I think we can understand that when they bring these mandates to us, really all it is is an absolute farce. It's an absolute joke because they don't value life. They don't value health. They don't value what is good and what is upheld in Scripture as good and right and honorable government has no right to mandate these things because the government has disqualified itself from its calling of the Lord. Again, that's where it goes back to these people are ordained by God for these positions of leadership, and they have disqualified themselves from that leadership because they praise what is evil and they punish that which is good. So I'm not going to tell you how to take and apply those things, but Think through those principles as we move forward. And these are, are going to apply more and more as the days go, go forward because we're going to have more of this from the government. There, there's very little indication that this thing is going to flip and turn the other direction. So we must be grounded in these things. So to kind of land the plane this morning, we see that the Christian's duty to o- earthly authority is very clear. We are to submit to them as they carry out their God-given duties. But that is the critically important part, that it is God-given duties that we submit to. We submit willingly and joyfully and humbly. But we do this knowing that they are servants of God. They are servants of the Most High, and they have specific things that they are called to do by God in Scripture. There's no duty or authority given to the government to lead, to shepherd, or to oversee the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it is his church. Jesus bought and purchased and ransomed and redeemed the church with his precious blood. 
Jesus is its chief shepherd. And Jesus entrusts under shepherds to care for, to love, and to protect his church. And that is to whom we submit when it comes to things in the church. We submit to Scripture, to Jesus Christ, and those entrusted by Christ to care for the church. So, dear friends, we render to governing authorities what is due to them. We give them honor. We give them respect, submission, and above all, we need to pray for them. We need to pray, as Paul told Timothy, that they will allow you to lead a tranquil and peaceful and dignified and godly life. But above that, friends, we render to Christ that which is his. We fear him. We obey him. We obey his word. We devote ourselves to honoring him above all things. And we devote ourselves to honoring him no matter the cost. Dear friends, that is the Christian's duty to government. Obey and submit as far as you can but do not cross the line of obedience to Christ. You serve, you obey Christ. He is worthy of all that. We are to give our lives to him as living sacrifices. We are to be steadfast and immovable and to abound in the work of the Lord, and he will supply the strength and the grace to do those things. So may we indeed be steadfast. May we be immovable. And may we abound in the Lord's work to his praise and his glory forever and ever. Let's close in prayer.